This is Cinema Activist, the official podcast of Lion's Den Productions, for filmmakers and cinephiles who crave context. Did you get any friction at all, either from like the business community or politicians? Are we able to kind of stay under the the radar with your project? I mean, I stayed under the radar because everything was done very, um, you know, I, everything's done on a DSLR, um, you know, with me hanging out of a Cessna. Um, <laughs> like it's done with me and, you know, sitting on a, like on the side of a car, like as it's driving. Um, and and because I didn't actually want to talk to any politicians mm-hmm. <laughs> or the yeah. industry. Um, you weren't it, looking for trouble. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, and I like, I, I we, uh, we did get, you know, some, some flack for being, you know, on, on their property. Like it when, when we were in the fracking area. Um, but yeah, they're very protective about like their, well pad areas and stuff like that yeah yeah but then i just looked at him i was like it's cool i got it from the air no worries um so yeah it's i i didn't because my rig is my rig it's a camera um but because what i'm using is is so low profile i think that you know you i i and and i could just shrug and be like oh i'm sorry i didn't realize where i was you know like (laughs) on part or whatever you were so, drawing yeah. attention with like a crew and lights. Right. And, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't walking in there with craft services and, you know. Yeah. I mean, actually, that's probably good advice for just in general, because if you're an outsider coming into a community, right, as a filmmaker, as a storyteller, you probably want um, as low profile as as possible. Right. Because um, people can get sh- shy as well too like your interviews might not be as good if you've got like a whole rig you know like a whole shoulder thing and everything coming at people like that might not work your interviews might not be as intimate as as the ones that you got yeah no that's a that's a good point and actually something that i've learned you know in the like probably like the six or seven years that i've been doing interviews on camera is like just start and actually I learned this in the recording industry too. Just hit record while you're still shooting the shit. And then be like, hey, let's do a practice take. I'm not even recording. <laughs> um, and then that'll be like probably the best one. Uh, you know, if the band is uh, is one of those like uh, fear of the red light bands. But it's the same thing with like talking to people. Like I oftentimes tell people like, you're welcome to look into the camera, but you're welcome to look at me. And like, you know, the camera's right here. So for the most part, nobody's looking at the camera. Mm -hmm. Everyone's looking at me, um, which is fine because I want it to feel like a conversation. And so what I usually do is I usually just press record and then they don't, they usually just forget that I didn't tell them it's, you know, I, I tell them I'm recording and, and everything like that, but they usually forget by the time the actual interview starts because we've been hanging out. It's a, mm-hmm. It makes it a more of a pain in the ass for editing because you have to get rid of all the shit where you're talking about your dog or stuff, but, um, but it, it just makes it more personable and it makes the person feel like you're not just coming to extract a story and then run mm-hmm. off. 
like you actually want to hang out with them. You actually want to hear their story or look at their, you know, their photo albums or whatever. And, and I actually do because I don't, I don't have like, I don't want to just extract stories. I think that's creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think like, you know, it is a, it is like, if you have to have a bigger rig, like I totally get that, but then like spend some extra time just hanging out and talking to people and, asking them about their hobbies and stuff like don't go straight to the so how did it feel to have that compressor station on your land yeah Yeah, good point and if you need like a big rig maybe like a really long lens so it can be like way in the background (laughs) right not like right in their face not right there (laughs) yeah i think i think that's really important because some you know sometimes you i mean not so much now because with digital um you know we we kind of have the luxury of running and running and running and you know it's just it's just ones and zeros at the end of the day um but sometimes you can tell when um you know the person that's in, being interviewed is not so comfortable right maybe there's a little guard there a little wall there i think it's interesting what you were saying about uh extracting and leaving because that sounds like uh, certain industries uh coming in <laughs> coming into communities <laughs> I'm coming in, I'm getting what I want and you're going to deal with the consequences. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, you know, it is, I've I've seen this a lot, like, especially on the, when when I've been on the other side, like when I've been on the front lines and there's, you know, like the Washington post or something that wants to come interview people, they'll just waltz in, like they own the place and tell you where to stand. And there have been times where it's actually like almost come to blows because people are like, look, you know, if you want the interview, you do it on our time and on our terms. Respect. Um, How about some respect? Right, right. And I so I wonder why people are like mad at the media like <laughs> these days. Like, <laughs> right. And it's I actually have a sticker on my computer that says, you know, I'm one of the journalists you can trust. Um, because there is just like this it's super problematic. It's like, look, I have a deadline. I, you know, I don't care about you as a person. I just care about your experience with this horrifying trauma. And it becomes, not only does it become like trauma porn, but it also just becomes like, you know, this, this incredibly extractive uh, uh, exchange. And, you know, I wanted it to be something where I could be friends with these people. And, you know, I still am like, I've, you know, I, I recently went and, uh, and and saw one of the people that's in the film and, you know, dropped off some, dropped off a little care package oh, because wow. of my Jewish mother. Um, but like, I, I want these to be relationships that, that I have uh, moving forward. So, and I felt that it was, you know, the first people that saw the film were the people who were in the film, because I was like, I want you to tell me that I did right by you. Because if I didn't, then I need to go back and, you know, re-edit something so mm-hmm. so that you feel that your story comes across well um so yeah the definitely like foremost in my mind was not being extractive and making sure that they're telling their stories and that i'm just i'm just there filming it i'm not telling them for them yeah and that's that's good advice for all of us we can if we show some mutual respect and actually get to know one another have a conversation um we might actually make a little progress in <laughs> some areas, right? Um, okay, so tell me, uh, give me your timeline basically on on the film, like um, when you started filming, uh, editing, once it was done, um, 
you know, did you have other people look at it and give you feedback? Like how long was that process? Walk me through a little bit of your timeline of post-production. So um, it was there in October of 2019, October into November of 2019. Uh, came back and, you know, basically sat with whether I was actually going to do a film or not. <laughs> Um, and, you know, did some research. I talked to some documentary filmmakers that I know and respect and uh, got their input and uh, then just kind of dove in and started like filing through the uh, the hours and hours and hours of footage that I had. <laughs> and started, do you, you have know, any idea how many hours you had? Oh do, my you even, God. do you even want to no, venture I, a guess? I have no idea. Cause there, yeah, I have a no lot, idea. a lot, because it was basically like every day for, you know, a few weeks, just basically filming every day and doing something like seeing something new every day. And, um, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. um, but, uh, but yeah, so after that, um, basically it was just like hardcore focus on, the editing and uh, and basically like all of December and January. Um, did you edit yourself? No, okay. no, I am not. <laughs> so how did how did that process work with, so with the, you and the editor? The the guy that I worked luckily is is a rad uh, a rad guy that I worked with on my TV show. Um, I had a TV show that ran for five years, and he was the editor on the TV show, so he already knew like what I, you know, my style and like what I was at, what I was looking for. And, uh, and we just work really well together. We worked in, you know, recording studios before this. So we have a good like working relationship. Um, and so he did all the editing and then I reached out to uh, a friend of mine, you know, the, the, the plus about having a past in the music industry, reached out to a friend of mine. I was like, hey, do you want to write some like Appalachian music for a movie that I'm doing? He's like, oh yeah, sure. Um, Calling in favors, networking, yeah. very totally. key. <laughs> totally. Um, and, uh, and that was that, the, and then like doing, you know, the, the, over, the overdubs, the narration, like the extra filming of me. Um, and then basically had like a finished product by, I want to say March. Um, oh wow, that's actually pretty damn fast, Eleanor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. This is this is also like a weird neuroses that I have. I look at, I look at a project like a snapshot in time. So while all of these issues are going, unfortunately, to still be relevant in West Virginia for the foreseeable future, I felt like that that those moments that I that I captured there are specific to that time and place. So I wanted to get it out, you know, as quickly as I could. And I totally get like there are documentaries that follow people for years, but that's the point of them. Um, this one wasn't, you know, wasn't that kind of storyline. Um, so I wanted a quicker turnaround um, because I felt like it was also I also felt like I owed it to them uh, to show them like, OK, I I took up this much, this much of your time. And yeah. what am I doing with it? We're getting emails and texts like, Hey, how's it going? <laughs> when can we see it? <laughs> and so I, and then, you know, when, once that was done, I, I actually, I sent it to those folks first because I wanted to, um, you know, I, there were, I'm sure that there would have been, you know, 
expert documentary filmmakers that would have been like, oh, well, this should change and that should change. And I was like, but I mostly just care if I'm on the right track with the stories. Like, do the storytellers feel like their stories work? Um, and then got feedback that basically, yes, uh, it does. Like, you know, we're, we're really happy with it. And from there, I, you know, I got some input from, uh, from folks whose uh, perspectives I respect and uh, yeah. And then I released it in uh, June. Wow. Okay. That's great. Don't, don't ask me how long it took for unearth to, to come to life. <laughs> That's different though. Y'all, I mean, <laughs> That's like, and, and the way that you got it is also so beautiful. And, you know, I'm sure well, you thanks, were, but you're like nine month, like awesome turnaround, like start to finish is like, I'm so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's great. Kudos, kudos. So it's done. You decide it's done. You've shown it to some people. They're happy. What do you decide to do then as a, as an independent filmmaker? Did you go the submit it to film festivals route? Did you, um, you know, try and set up screenings in, in COVID, which obviously is, you know, we're recording this still in a, in a pandemic. So, um, yeah, walk me through, I guess, what was maybe your initial plan? Um, you know, the challenges that are in place there and then how they're compounded by a pandemic and things like that. Yeah. Uh, I, I decided that I would, you know, submit it to some festivals, particularly like some, uh, environmental festivals and things like that. Um, and it was received pretty well, uh, by, by several festivals, which are of course all online, which is a bummer. I didn't get to go anywhere. <laughs> I know. I'm so pissed. Like uh, ours premiered in August um, to like a huge festival in Canada and we would have went. It was in Montreal. Mm. We were like so excited. Damn it. We're, you know, like it's playing in um, South Korea in July, like in the big festival there. And we're like, oh, if we get the vaccine and we can travel, we're go <laughs> we are going for sure because we've missed like Spain and France and like the UK and like, yeah. oh, I I get I get what you're feeling because it's like, you spend so so much time and effort on this and you want to show it around, mm -hmm. virtual virtual screenings. Yeah, virtual, and I mean there've been there've been a few film festivals that did like you know virtual Q and A's and and I mean that's cool. I yeah. yeah I mean I'm I'm glad to do them, uh, but it's obviously you know not the same thing. Um, but but yeah, I mean it is what it is, and I'm glad that folks are enjoying the film in their little cubbies. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's also I'm also the film is also being used by uh, organizations. Uh, for uh, as like an organizing tool, which I which I was I, one of my main goals was to to have have that happen. So that makes uh, me happy. Yeah. Um, so like Frack Tracker has 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 worked with the has worked with the film to screen it. Um, you know some other uh, environmental organizations that are in particular like in that area. Did they reach out to you, or were you proactively also? trying to get on radars of oh, I am I am very much the annoying 
after walk after, us through maybe that a little bit like you because you finish it and then what people aren't just knocking on uh eleanor goldfield's door and saying hey i heard you finished a film like like what's what are some of the things that you've done what advice would you give to people uh, yeah well i remember you know back in my back in my 20s i moved to la when i was um 17 to become a rock star that went so so wow um, but what I remember one of the things like when I was like 21 or 22 thinking that like, wow, it's almost like I'm trying to be obscure. <laughs> oh. Of course I'm not, but, um, but yeah, I, I learned very early on that like just being, just thinking that you're good and expecting other people to notice it is good luck. Um, so I, I realized that one has to be proactive. And so I, I certainly don't mind nagging people. Um, I recommend spreadsheets for this, though. <laughs> I have rolling Agreed. spreadsheets. Uh, you know, like, this is the last time you reached out to this person. Oh, so in two weeks, you should reach out again. Um, that kind of stuff. And so you have I, to be organized. Yes, yes. And I don't like spreadsheets, but I have learned, <laughs> we have learned to coexist. <laughs> um for the sake of these you know the, of these purposes uh so i just started reaching out to um to organizations that i thought would be interested uh to media outlets uh that i thought would well even if i didn't think they'd be interested i was like hey i think you should be interested <laughs> um and uh and you know i got uh i got a lot of uh, a lot of responses and i did you know a lot of interviews uh, I've the film's already screened with like five or six organizations. Awesome. Um, in that in that area, and you know I've gotten requests for people to screen it, like you know on their in their own space and time. Um, so I like yeah I've I've definitely done that outreach, and I'm continuing to do that outreach. But yeah, it's certainly it's certainly not people knocking on my door. I mean sometimes they will like after after like a big interview you know like i was on chris hedges and then people you know were like hey i saw you on chris hedges so there's gonna be like some some uh uh some like what do you call it like there's there's going to be some some that comes back after some residual uh yeah <laughs> interest. Um, yeah. but that definitely like can't count on that uh particularly to start with and so and all of this was kind of new to me like i didn't even you know, I, I, I knew like there are some similarities to the music uh, to the music game, but a lot of it's new. And so I was learning a lot of this like as I was going and I'm still very much learning. <laughs> I, I still wouldn't say that I know exactly what I'm doing, but I make it look like I know what I'm doing in the that's, email. That's and, good. <laughs> and, uh, and during the, the interviews that aren't this one. <laughs> I mean, it's ever changing um, so much, right? You have to adapt like we were talking about before with just being a filmmaker in general like once your film is done and the whole marketing and business side of it like you have to be on your fucking game with that stuff too because otherwise no one's gonna see your work i i i can never understand the oh i'm just doing it for me kind of thing it's like okay i mean you know if you're like if you can do that, if you either have a sponsor or, you know, you're independently wealthy or, you know, like you don't, I mean, you know, there's also like, 
and especially with these films, I hope that filmmakers that are in this space, um, you know, are working their asses off to make sure that people know these stories, right? People need to hear these stories. It's so important. Yeah. Well, like, I think that, you know, like with your film too, it it, kind of reminds me of what I oftentimes say about, about art is that it's insidious because it goes, it goes, it goes through the side door of your mind and it hits your emotions first. So somebody could just be like looking for a horror film and right. then they find this and they're like, I'm not thinking about the environment you to do. And then they watch it and they're like, fuck. Right. <laughs> like, oh, could something happen to my water? Right. Hmm, that sounds like it could be possible. And it's like you just found the side door without having to walk up to somebody and be like, hey, can I talk to you about fracking? Because no one wants to hear that. It's like the it's like, you know, it's like the Mormons. Like, do you have a moment? to? No, 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 no. Um, but you found that like side door. And I think that that's what's so brilliant about these, about like films and music and, you know, visual art that can like, that can reach people without telling them, this is what you should think, or this is what I'm trying to say. Right. Uh, you know, it's just like, Hey, it's just a good horror film. That's all it is. No, oh. no your motive here. <laughs> Thanks for saying that. I mean, just to share, you know, some of our critics uh we have noticed you know because you can imagine and i'm sure you've gotten this with your film too that you'll get like these kind of like blind haters that uh they just read like a synopsis or something and then they're like oh another one of these you know and they like know what the whole film is it is interesting like seeing some of the reviews and being like yeah i thought this was gonna be like really preachy and like hitting me over the head with something but it's like it really made me think and like care about these people and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, you, you should, even if like, you know, there's not coal mining going on in your backyard, if there's not drilling going on in your backyard, it is affecting people and you should care about that. And yeah. it's infecting the environment and water flows through, <laughs> you know, like the water connects us all the land, the air connects us all. So if it's not in your backyard, it could be in your backyard, like indirectly in your food and everything, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's so. Um, all right. So you've played in some cool festivals. You've done some Q and A's. You're getting out there. You're hustling, <laughs> which is key. Right. Um, what are kind of um, long-term plans for the film do you have the film available for people to watch on their own outside of a festival or a group where can people see this film yes absolutely it is available online at hardroadofhope.com and uh, folks it's you'll you'll see it as soon as you as you land on the page it says order um, and you just go through the steps and uh, you'll get an email link uh, you can also like watch the trailers and things like that. Uh, there's also contact information if folks are with a, you know, an organization that wants to do a screening or something like that. Um, please feel free to reach out to me. I'm trying to figure out like educational distribution because I mm -hmm. want that to be, I want that to be a part of it too. Um, so if, if folks have like a classroom that they want to show it in or something like that, that's something that I'm very uh, interested in doing as well. It has a good runtime uh, for that as well. It's yeah. it would be friendly for a classroom for sure, yeah. or like a. I mean, have you? Okay, so as far as the because I haven't checked out 
the interface you have on the website, are you basically doing like a password protected Vimeo or something like that? Or like, um, I'm just curious, yeah, technical wise, like it's through, uh, it's through a, um, platform called Gumroad. Oh yeah. Okay. So basically like you, you choose whether you want the version with captions or without captions. And then you, uh, it's available on a sliding scale, um, starting at $5. You're doing the radio head thing. Pay, pay, <laughs> pay what you want kind of a thing. I'd like to say that people were doing that before Radiohead, but yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, so uh, so people can pay whatever whatever they can, whatever they feel uh, makes sense, and uh, and then you'll just get a link in your in your inbox, and uh, yeah. So if people want it for for other purposes other than like personal viewing, then um, feel free to reach out to me. Have you considered? Um, do you have like a local PBS or somebody that might be able to hook you up through like? you know, kind of their POV series or, um, I reached, I sent, you know, PBS had like this paperwork and package thing that you had to send in. And it reminded me of like sending in like your, uh, your press kit way back in the day when CDs were still a thing. <laughs> um, so I sent that in and never heard back, but okay. I was thinking it just, you know, wasn't a good fit for them or, you know, what have you, but I did try that. Okay. Understood. Yeah. I mean, and that's the other thing being a, a filmmaker and artist, right? Like getting used to the word no, because oh, yeah. you're going to hear it. So I like hardly even hear it anymore. I just, I just listen for the word. Yes. And unless it's a yes, I'm just like moving on. <laughs> yep. Okay. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough. I love your, um, so you have a website. It's artkillingapathy.com which I love that URL, by the way, that is, that is it. That is the mission, right? <laughs> yes, um, what do you have going on on art killing apathy? So um, right now I'm, I'm working to release an EP that should actually have been released in 2019 uh, or 2020 really. But you were uh, making a film and releasing it. <laughs> <laughs> that I, I'm always doing a bunch of shit at the same, I get bored very easily. Um, and so I, I, I recorded this EP actually right before I went to West Virginia. Um, and it was, it's my first solo work since I, since my previous band broke up. Uh, so this is kind of like my breakup EP. Aww. Um, but I don't actually like write, I mean, it would be weird to write a love song to my band anyway, because I hate <laughs> it. but, um, <laughs> but it's, I don't really write love songs anyway. So it's like. It, they're very political. It's three songs and two spoken word pieces. Mm. Um, but it is kind of like my, you know, like I needed to do this and I needed to get it, get it out there on my own. I was going to release it in 2020 when I could tour, but that yeah. obviously didn't happen. So I put it on ice. And now, again, like just because I feel like I have to get it out there because it's a snapshot of a time that is becoming more and more in the past. And if I don't get it out there, then it it'll just never come out. So I'm going to be putting that out uh, in, the, in the coming months and uh, doing some music videos. Um, and uh, so that's, that's the, that's the main art project coming up. Um, and uh, I'd like to, I'd like to get back to filming things again, but it hasn't really, hasn't really been an apt time for that. Um, I thought about filming some of the mutual aid work that's been happening around DC because I'm a I've been organizing on on that front. But oh, tell always... me tell me more about this. I've been researching mutual aid. 
a bunch. Oh, it's for, rad. For Mutilated yeah. the future, for sure. For sure. Um, I mean, it's just the concept that like the people who need the help should be the people that are offering the help. And right. That yeah, maybe we should maybe explain for our listeners that don't know <clears throat> about mutual aid. Um, so mutual aid is built. It's a, it's a concept of solidarity, not charity. Charity is a hierarchical top-down structure that is actually a necessary part of capitalism, right? It suggests that there have to be poor people. There have to be the, you know, the, 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 the degenerates, the unfortunates that need your help. And then you, the benevolent rich people, will give them some help, uh, you know, in between making a shit ton of money off of their backs. Uh, solidarity and mutual aid is the concept that we all have something to offer and we all have things that we need. And so instead of begging for those things from the top, we facilitate those needs on our own because we have the skills, we have the, we have the ability to manifest uh, those, uh, those answers and those needs ourselves. And so it's really more about, it's not like overthrowing the government because I think that that's a kind of a silly notion. It's about making the government obsolete. Right. It's about circumnavigating um, the, the roadblocks and the oppression that is meted out by the government. So in that sense, mutual aid being these, you know, community-based autonomous organizations uh, is really, I, I think, the future. And, you know, interconnecting those, particularly in a time like now when everyone's dealing with the same disaster, is incredibly powerful. Um, and so... I, yeah, mutual aid is, is something that I've been working on here in DC since I've, you know, been able, unable to go anywhere. Um, and, you know, still feel the need to do that frontline organizing. And uh, I've thought about filming it, but it's hard to do it and be filming at the same time. Sure. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You need a little, a little team. I know. You need I'm like not. one or one or two other people. You can all switch off. it's hard it's hard to find yeah um yeah i agree with you like mutual aid especially you know i mean a lot of things really crystallized uh from just being like theoretical ways that we need to go as society to um you know being crystal clear in the pandemic of we we need to do things ourselves and we have to be like you know like no one's coming to save us like the the way that 2020 went could have could have went so many different better ways um with just a little organizing and a, a little like i don't know giving a shit it just it just feels like yeah i agree with you totally mutual aid like every community needs to look into mutual aid i don't know if you um are you familiar with the rights of nature yeah, like rights of nature feels like, you know, working in within our capitalist system, um, you know, where we can make corporations be uh, like people so that we can give co- campaign contributions, like something like rights of nature feels like, yeah, okay, you want to play that game? Like, all right, nature. How about nature being like... He has personal rights now, doesn't it? What's say again? Lake Erie has personhood rights. Uh, now. They tr- they tried. They tried the Lake Erie Bill of Rights and it did it got blocked. Um, <laughs> but we have been talking about, you know, if if we could form a collective of like all the cities that are surrounding the lake or a certain amount, like partner up with Canada and like Buffalo and Cleveland and Erie and stuff like that. Like because before it was kind of just Ohio trying to do it on their own. 
Um, but yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I'll just, I'll just come back to, uh, we need to take a little more responsibility on our, on ourselves, um, and not rely on governments and politicians to, you know, be there for us. And capability, you know, like, I think, I think the big problem is that I think a lot of people think, well, we couldn't possibly do what the government does. And it's like, well, the government doesn't do much, but shit on people. So yeah, yeah, what are they doing? But I mean, we can also do something way better, which is what, you know, which is what you see, you, you see that happening. Like, and I think, you know, COVID did a great job of of rubbing a lot of sheen off of capitalism and making it very clear what removing exact- some veils. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, the, the ugly face is a lot more visible now than it was like two years ago. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot more people are, are seeing that like as more, a deeper systemic change, a shift is necessary. It's not just about like a little thing here or there. Um, and that, you know, like Ursula K. Le Guin said, you know, the, the capitalism seems like an insurmountable force, but so did the divine right of kings, you know, like shit does change and it will change. It just mad. It's just a matter of like, are we going to be the ones to facilitate that change? Or is it going to be like a crazy sixth extinction? Right. Um, and I like to think that, you know, we can, and we will uh, facilitate that change in a way that provides a livable future Um, We just have to, you know, figure out what from the past, you know, like looking at our history, what from the past we want to bring forward, what should really just stay the hell back there. Um, And what, what do we, how do we want to build that future? And it really is like up to us. Like we get to decide how to build the future. Nothing is set in stone and nothing is already written. And the, the, you know, the powers that be can't say shit if we tell, if we force them uh, to sit down and shut up. Right. Yeah make make them a little irrelevant. <laughs> I mean, I'm an eternal optimist, so I'm I'm kind of with you with you there. What role do you feel, you know, as an artist of of many uh ilks of many many types? <laughs> um what do you feel that the role especially now of of artists can be and should be and will be um in in this future? that we're working so hard for. I'll say that like, I know some some people say like, oh, I don't do political art. To which my response is always, yes, you do. You just don't call it that. Everything's political. The fact that I'm sitting in a chair using the internet in an apartment that is rent controlled and everything about everything is political. And I'm sorry, but that's just, and that doesn't have to be C-SPAN boring. It can be very exciting. You know, it really is the, the the construct of our lives. Politics is about how people and communities interact with one another and the ecosystem. So that can be super cool. Um, so I think the role of artists, kind of like I mentioned, like with your film, it's to find that side door to not walk up to someone with a bunch of stats and be like, can I talk to you about labor rights? No, snooze. And nothing against statisticians think you're super important, but the initial like gateway drug is always more effective if it's fun and if it's like engaging. Um, And so I think that the role of artists to me is to create a space where the revolution is, uh, is irresistible. Um, And it's to create a space where creative thinking about what the future can be, what we could possibly dream up and create where that feels possible. Uh, You know, it's no, 
it's no uh, it's no w- wonder why the first classes that are knocked off in school are music and art because that teaches kids to think outside the box right. and it teaches people to to question things around them so i think that's the role of artists and to kind of you know uh not very well uh, quote james baldwin here but you know he said that poets and by that i mean all artists are the only ones who know what it is like to be on this planet and survive it and I think that's the role of artists is to show us not only how to survive right now with, you know, dignity and hope, but how to build the future where we will survive. And so I think however that looks to you as an artist, how, whatever medium, whatever kind of genre that like that speaks to you, go and do it and uh, be unapologetic and loud about it. Cinema Activist is produced by Lion's Den Productions. Hosted by John C. Lyons. Music by Tony Gray. Support the efforts of Lion's Den Productions by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Lion's Den Productions. Thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Music.